as Matt said a minute ago, we're in this faith, this faith actually series, and it's, we put this together because there's something like our faith has to actually mean something. It has to actually look like something in our lives, and um, so we've been working through this four-week series uh, together. And the first week was read, reading the scriptures. The second week was pray. The third was seek. That's today is seek. And then next week is know. And uh, I am very, very, very excited about next week because uh, we are going to have a gospel presentation, which I think is going to uh, be effective. I think it's going to be great. I'm very excited about that. I want to turn as we start today. I want to read just a little reminder here um, from our friend Isaiah. Isaiah 55. You don't have to turn there. I just want to read this to you, though. This might sound familiar. It says this, Seek the Lord while he might be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord God and he will have mercy and our God because he freely pardons sin. That's a good word from Isaiah. We read that a few weeks ago. I want to hit this too. It says, Just as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return void without watering the earth, and making it bud and, and flourish. It's hard to say. But it's funny, right, because we're in the middle of the dead of winter. I heard somebody say this morning, they said, uh, I don't know, who was it over at the breakfast? Someone's child said, look, Mom or Dad, that snow has grass growing out of it. <laughs> you know? And as, as parents, we go, no, you guys don't get it. The snow fell on the grass. But they're right. That snow has grass growing out of it. So just like those of you who hate snow this morning who are here, that's even more of a, a testimony, right? It's, it's watering the earth. We don't see it that way because it's in frozen form, but it's going to water and nourish and grow things up, even in these cold, bitter seasons. So I just want to share that with you because that's a word uh, from God today, uh, from his word. Good stuff. Um, so that's where, and then next week's going to be no, and I, I'm really, really excited, so I'd encourage you to come, bring your friends next week. It's going to be awesome, because uh, we're going to get a different gospel presentation. It's going to be phenomenal. I want to say something to you, uh, because sometimes it seems like on a Sunday morning, we see who, are, who is doing what around here, right? But there, as you know, this church has many ministries, and they're everywhere happening. I'm amazed, because I'm pretty new, right? And so I'm seeing things, I'm like, wow, that's awesome, you guys are doing that. That's awesome. I was talking to my brother-in-law, not directly, but indirectly, from Iraq, and I want his name is Richard Blanchett. And Richard has found a computer in Iraq because the government computers are blocked. You can't go to certain sites. That they, he can get to familybc.org. And so he's been listening to the sermons, right? He's my brother-in-law. He loves me, right? But he's been listening. It's been awesome. And so I just wanted to like throw that out there this morning because I know he's going to hear this this morning. And I also know that one of the Bible study groups sent a bunch of stuff to him in Iraq. Do you all know about this? Not all of us know about that, but that happened. So I would just ask you to, to prove that we're all here and we're all praying for Rich this morning and anyone else. I'm going to say not just Rich, but the people in the conflict. There are children caught in this conflict. There are enemies who are being killed. And God loves them all. God loves us all, okay? So I just want to send a shout-out to Iraq. So if you guys want to do it on the count of three, we're going to say, Hi, Rich. You want you up for this? Okay, ready? One, two, three. Hi, Rich. That's awesome. I guarantee you he's crying. He'll be crying when he hears this. Uh, He's he's an awesome guy. You'll get to meet him. So I wanted to do that because I want to say that that is a ministry that's happening through this church that you may not even know about. This web ministry that happens every week, this word that goes out that people are digging and trying to find, and lo and behold, people from even Iraq are trying to dig and find information or, or find a connectedness back to home, and that's being provided by this church and by your faithfulness. So God be praised, right? All right. The, the, the challenge of this series is this question, 
who or what is your God? And that is to say, who or what is it that you're reading up on? Who or what is it that you are bowing down to? Or who or what is it that you are looking for? Who or what is it that you're looking for? I want to tell a little story as we get started. The, the, uh, Chris and I, Chris broke her cell phone again. Like, she always says, I'm hard on equipment. She always breaks hers first, kind of a deal, you know. Uh, but we're at two years, contract's up. We've been looking, and, and I want to say there's two reasons. First of all, man, cell phones are amazing now, right? Like, like the ones we have now are pretty much just phones, but we are looking at these phones now, and they're like miniature computers, right? The one I really want is like a little laptop. And, and uh, this is my current phone, nothing special about it. But I thought, you know, we, we're in this, we all caught up in all this fancy technology and stuff and, you know, uh, Bluetooth enabled and, and web browsers and the iPhone and all this cool stuff. And then I'm like, I need this thing to make phone calls. <laughs> like, that's kind of important. So again, it's this idea of getting the basics right. So I started asking this girl really hard questions. I said, what kind of call clarity does this thing have? Um, what kind of battery life does it have? Because as cool as it is, if it's dead or if I can't hear the phone conversation, it's pointless right? Well, that's step one, just to say that there's this idea that we go looking for the most extravagant things and we're missing the basics, reading scripture, praying, seeking God, and knowing him fully, right? Those are the basic things that we're doing in our Christian walk as individuals and as a church, I pray, right? Well, the, uh, the other thing is this. I was, I was preparing last night and I got really convicted because this word, what are you reading up on, bowing down to, or looking for? And God said to me, Bill, it's just a cell phone. How much time did you spend this week researching it, finding the best buy, finding the best gadgets? And two years will be obsolete. Let's spend some time digging into God's word together and learning about our faith, which is eternal. Eternal. So I'm letting the cell phone thing go. I'm going to lead up to God. That's just the word. I I can't look for it anymore. I'm done. I got more important things to worry about. We're going to read from Matthew chapter 2 this morning. So if you want to turn your Bibles, we're going to pull it up here this morning. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. We're going to get easy to place in context here because Matthew's writing this book, and it's the very beginning. Jesus is born. And, uh, but it's this weird time that we're in as Christians where it's Jesus has come, but not yet. And in the scripture, we're going to jump ahead a little bit because we're remembering that we're still waiting for Jesus. But the scripture today is going to be about after Jesus arrived and and because of what we're trying to teach here this morning. But I want you to know that that's still happening here. That we're still waiting for God, but yet God is here. We're still waiting for the kingdom, but yet the kingdom is here. We're still waiting for Jesus to save us, yet Jesus has already saved us. And this is just where we are as Christians in our walk. And um, so I just want to say that as we get started. So Jesus has been born in this text. And we'll read from chapter 2, verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born, King of the Jews? He saw his, we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem was w- with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them, Where is the Christ? or where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. 
Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I may too go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and incense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for uh, the mystery of the manger, for the truth of Jesus in this world. We pray, Lord, this morning that as your Holy Spirit dwells in us and as we open your scriptures, that you would open our minds and our hearts, make them soft, make them uh, ready to receive a word from you. We give you all glory and honor and praise for everything, even this. In Jesus' name, amen. So here we have this story. Who's heard the story before? The, the wise men, the Magi might throw you off, right? It's the story of the wise men. Um, everyone's heard the story, right? And I just want to go through a little bit. We're going to focus on the very last two verses, but I want to go through the story real quick just to run through some things that I think are pretty amazing about the text. The first thing is, in the first verse of Scripture, anyone who would say, like, man, there's not much in there. I've heard that story before. I wanted to read you the first verse of Scripture here. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east of to Uh, came to Jerusalem and asked. And in that one verse, the whole story is set up, right? They've introduced everyone that's important in the story. And you might say, well, yeah, I get that. Who's important in the story? Well, Jesus, Herod, right? And the Magi. There's more characters here than that. I want to say that, first of all, Jesus, right, was born in Bethlehem. So Matthew's affirming what he just wrote in the first chapter, that this has already happened now, okay? But he's born in Judea, right? And during the time of King Herod, now who's King Herod? Does anyone know? King Herod is the ruler at the time, right? He's a ruler by force. He's a foreign ruler. And he's in Judea, he's in Jerusalem, and he's ruling. And his name, by the way, means heroic one, right? So he's the hero. But if you study anything about Herod, you know he is not really the hero you want. Like he is not a good guy. Not even to his own people. Not even to his own family. But somehow he has to maintain his status as both hero and king. And so when these Magi show up, now who are these guys? These guys are from the east, from the Orient. So they're not from, they're not Jews. They're not Jewish, and they're not from the king, they're not from uh, the kingdom in any way. So they have no authority to come in, but they're being sent out, and they're coming because they have seen a sign that they've been watching for. And they've come to inquire, to ask a question. And then Bethlehem is a character in this. You know what Bethlehem means? Bethlehem means the house of bread. Okay? So here they come, and they don't, but they don't know yet that he's in Bethlehem. And they're just saying, hey, there's this king born of the Jews. Where is he? Because we brought gifts. So they're almost like emissaries. They're not, you know, we say we three kings of Orient are. But they're not really probably kings, because kings wouldn't make this kind of a journey. These guys are more like the, the um, king's emissaries. They bring tidings from the kingdom. But they bring the authority of the kingdom with them, but they're not necessarily the king of their land. And so they're coming here, so we have those characters in this story. 
Jesus, the true hero, King Herod, the not really hero but thinks he's the hero, the Magi, Jerusalem, and Bethlehem. And I want to ask you as we begin this text to try to place yourself, if you've heard the story before, who are you in the story? Who do you hear it as? Are you a Jew? Are you Jesus? Are you Mary? I think we like to get in there, right? We're on the inside because Matthew's already gave us a glimpse. So we're, 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 this is where we are. We're like this when we watch him coming. And we're watching him from afar. We're here. But the truth is no one was there <laughs> when the story is being told. Mary was there. Joseph was there. Jesus was there. The cows were there. <laughs> you know, But no one was on board with this. And so I want to challenge that. Like, Who are you in the story today? Are you King Herod, the hero who has to defend his territory? The other thing I want to talk about is there's three main movements. There's this quest that starts out. There's a detour with Herod. And then there's this epiphany. And we're talking about epiphany today. And that's what we're praying for today is epiphany. All right? So I just want to throw that out there. So here we go. So they introduce these guys to us. They're coming in, and they ask, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? Now, I just want to say something to you. There's a lot of debate maybe about when Jesus became, like, uh, all-powerful king. Let me tell you, Matthew says right here at the very beginning of the book, Jesus was born the king. Do you hear that? Jesus didn't become king whenever he got some disciples, when he was 30, when he got baptized. He didn't become a king when he hung on a cross for our sins at 33. Jesus was born a king. Like that. Here is your king. This is not the place you would expect a king to show up. But Matthew says, by this testimony of these Orientals, by this testimony of these Gentiles, he says, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? Because we saw his star in the east, and therefore we have come to worship. This idea of seeing the star, you know, Steve and I were having a conversation at breakfast this morning about the idea that it may not necessarily have been a star they saw, but it was something that was a light that was immobile, unmovable. It was stuck in the sky. And they had been watching for this. They had been looking for this sign because they were looking for this breaking through of a truthful message of this kingdom. And they're going to come over and make peace because if you're a king in a foreign land, the last thing you want is not to go ahead and send some good tidings to the new king. So they come over and they said, we saw the star. Where's the king? When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. It means he was stirred up. You're right? He's got enough problems of his own just ruling his kingdom. And here's somebody stirring the pot. These guys show up. They've got gifts. And they're saying, where's the king of the Jews? And Herod's like, God, were you serious? But look at this. All of Judea, all of Jerusalem is stirred up with him. This is not just a problem for Herod. Because I want you to put yourself for a moment in the place of a Jew in Jerusalem. You're at the center of the kingdom, right? You are on holy ground. And some foreigner shows up and walks in and says, um, excuse me this morning, but where is Jesus? Because we saw this light, but we can't find him here. And church, you're saying, well, if Jesus is anywhere, he's here this morning, right? How would you feel if you were a Jew? They were stirred up. 
Where's the king? How could we miss this? We've been waiting for thousands of years for a Messiah. What do you mean that you think he's been born already? Right? There's a problem. Everybody stirred up against them. Herod, because of his political power, and the Jews, because they may have missed it. So Herod has a secret meeting where he calls together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law. So he says, I don't know about Judaism. Come in here, everybody. And you guys, these guys are experts in the word of God. They know scripture inside and out, right? And he calls them together and he says, tell me, what's the question he's asking? Where will the king be born? Because the Orientals show up, the Magi show up, and they say, we know he's been born, we just don't know where. And he says, tell me, where the Christ, the anointed one, the Holy One, will be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, this is what the prophet has written. So they've known where to be looking for the king. I don't know. Maybe they quit looking. Maybe they quit watching. Maybe they got a little tired after thousands of years of no Messiah. I don't know. But they know the place. They know the place to look. And they quote Micah. And they say, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Now I want to turn to Micah, because I find this interesting. Um, because it's not, and I'm going to stumble here a minute, because it's not an exact quote. Micah 5, 2 is what I'm feeling on this. Let's see. Yes. But you... Bethlehem, Ephrathath, I don't know how you say that, right? Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old and from ancient times. There's this king who's coming who has been ruling for years and years and years and years. I will say to you, Jesus was king before he was born. I love the story about John doing a flip in his mom's belly when, when they walk in the room, right? Just the presence of this child in utero sends people like there's something going on that's huge. But somehow everyone doesn't hear it or get it. So they quote this text. So these guys are the scholars, the experts in the law, and they say, well, it says in, in Bethlehem, here's what Herod does. He goes back and he calls him Magi secretly, and he says, come here, guys. All right, I'm the king here, right? I mean, he's the king, okay? So I need you to do me a favor. And he says, when did the star appear? And they tell him when the star appeared. And he says, okay, go to Bethlehem. That's where he's supposed to be born. And make a careful search for the child. And when you find him, report to me so that I might too go and worship him. By the way, the word worship there, it's this idea of going, drawing near, and kissing. Yes? So the Magi, when they come, they say, we're going to go, we want to draw near to this king and kiss. Right? And Herod, the king, says, the hero, I want to go and kiss him too. Right? So whenever you go there, find him, come back and tell me. So he's kind of trying to take control of their search for God. So the Magi, uh, he says, go make a careful search. So after they heard the king, they went on their way. And it, this is interesting to me because after they went on their way, it says the star had, that had appeared to them in the east and the rising place went ahead of them again until it stopped over the place where the child was and they were overjoyed. 
So here they've been following the star from the east. They get to Jerusalem, the, the place, the seat of power, and they say, where's the king of the Jews? We have gifts. And they find out the information of where he is, and they go, and they're overjoyed because when they leave the king, they see the star again. Like, there it is. We're on the right path. Let's keep going over here. And they go to Bethlehem. That they might, okay. And they were overjoyed when they saw it. So here's, the, here's what we want to get to, too. Epiphanal response. So, so far we have this journey that they've been on, this quest to find God, to find the king of the Jews. Then they've got this interruption with Herod and this kind of, I don't know how to say that. He's almost trying to redirect them, right, for his own good. Here's the trouble, right? If you're in leadership, you, you have this, you just, you, you feel threatened by other powers, and so you try to just, just go and come back and help me keep my power. Don't go crazy. Don't just go off on your own and find the true power because then I might not have a job anymore. I might lose my territory. And so Herod tries to kind of redirect them and bend them back towards his will. Come back and see me. I'll go worship. I'll do, I'm going to do what you're going to do. Yeah? We're going to find out that that is not true. That that is not true. But here's the epiphanal response. I am convinced as I read this text that when the, the, the mad guys show up, they do not know what they're in for. I think that when these guys show up at the manger, they think they know they've come to give these gifts and do this kind of diplomatic duty, and they are blown away by an encounter with a living God. And I'll tell you why I believe that. Let's look at the response in chapter 2, verse 11. It says, On coming to the house, this is an epiphanal response. Who knows what an epiphany is? Does anyone know what an epiphany is? Huh? Yes! It's not, it's not that something new, it's more along the lines of you've just finally realized it. And it's, it's this response of like, oh. And I got to tell you, like the biggest epiphanies you'll have in your life are about God. Like, wow, that's amazing. I had no idea all this time. I had no idea. They're going to have an epiphany in this manger. It says this, when they came into the house, they saw the child with uh, his mother, Mary. And so the first thing is, if you're going looking for the truth, you better be ready to find it. I'm going to ask Amanda if you'll pull that first slide up. This is, if you haven't taken note, this is the first fill-in-the-blank thing, right? <coughs> Excuse me. If you're going to seek, you better be ready to deal with the truth, to see the truth, and to seek the truth. And it may not sit with everything you've always thought to be true. I don't know what these, these magi expected to find, but I guarantee you when they showed up at a stable with cows and camels and who knows sheep and what else was in there, this is probably not what they expected to find in a king. And so, but when they saw him, something happened and there was this epiphanal response that we still remember to this day as Epiphany, the celebration of Epiphany. And I want, you to show, I want to show you what it says here. So when they saw the Mary, Mary and the child, they bowed down. They bowed down. If you're going to seek the truth, you better be ready to do some bowing down. Just bowing down, you know? You know what the actual other translation of this says? It says they fell. They just collapsed. They were just like, you know, like they couldn't even stand in this presence. And they bowed down before this king.
So they go and they see Mary and Jesus, and they just collapse before this king, and they worship him. I, I want that, so here it is. The third thing is, if you're, if you're going to seek, you're going to have to be ready to worship God. And I want to tell you, we have this kind of idea of what we think worship is, you know. I mean, worship is everything we do, and these are all true things. Worship is the work of the people. Worship is just how you live your life. Worship is all these things. But this, in the Greek, it, it's this idea I said of drawing near and kissing. Do you know where it comes from? The behavior of a dog. And I was like, what? But how many people love dogs? Yeah, why do you love a dog? I'll tell you what dogs do, man. Dogs show up and they're like, like hey, what's going on? What are we going to do today? Where are we going to go? And then, and then if you even look at them funny, they'll just like roll over. Okay, like that, you know? Because they're totally submissive. Right? Now, not all dogs... Right? But I'm saying that this is a common experience. This idea of how they fell down in worship is they just kind of just drop and roll over. It's this idea of kissing, not like this, but like this. You know, like kissing like that. You know, like that wet nose thing. You're like, stop, stop it. You know, but the dog can't help it because he's so excited because it's the king of the Jews. It's the king of all creation. And this is their response to worship. All right, so there we go. You better be ready to fall down and worship the king. And then, and you know, I'm going to say something too about this. I'm not saying you have to manufacture these things. I'm not saying you have to go and bow down. And man, I'm saying when you encounter an epiphanal experience, you will do these things. And I pray that when you do, you'll remember and go, oh, that's right. That's like the wise men. That's what just happened to me. It was an epiphany, a revelation from God. They worshiped him. After that, it says, then they opened their treasures. They opened their treasures. These things that they had brought, I don't know if they forgot about it for a minute. I don't know if they dropped them. But they're like, oh, yeah, here, we have gifts. You know, this, uh, the idea of a, a, a storehouse. It's this special keeping space, a place for all the special things. And they just open it up. And they just say, here, king, have it. You know what that means? That means you, they don't have any more control over what happens to that stuff. They just, it's just the kings to have. What does a baby do with gold? They like gnaw on it, you know. Maybe Mary and Joseph got to get a room at the Hilton. <laughs> I don't know. What, 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 the point is that when you bring these gifts to the king, you just let them go. Like you just open up these things. I just want to say about Herod the hero. These things that you store, that you control, that you want to hang on to, you just have to do this and just say, just say, here they are. And if, and if God picks them up and uses them, wow. If God doesn't, it's God, right? He does what he wants. Okay? But you have to be willing to open up your treasures. The Bible says where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. And, and those things you hold so near, we just got to let go and say, here they are, God. Have your way with them. And then they presented him the gifts of gold and incense and myrrh. I was, uh, um, the idea of, this idea of gold has intrinsic value. We still get that, right? The, the intrinsic value of gold. But there's also this idea that uh, they have, um, what's incense? It's like this fragrance, like this, this bringing us into the barn, right? This fragrant offering to the Lord. Here's all these riches. Here's this fragrant stuff. 
And then what really I found intriguing was the myrrh, because that's almost like an ointment or something that you need for healing. They're going to give the healing balm to the healer? Like, I don't know, I think that's kind of funny, right? But, but presenting this, these gifts actually has this, like, reaching out. You, like, just go, you fall down, you open the treasures, and then you kind of just hold them up there to the king, and you say, here you go, Lord. acts of worship and you stretch out the gift and you say just take it just take it just take it it wasn't ever mine thanks for let me bring it to you and they presented these gifts of gold and incense and myrrh so if you're going to see God be ready to present God with gifts and then the last statement the response the epiphanal response is this if you are going to see God be prepared to go home changed they probably had a plan. And they kind of made a deal with Herod here, right? They kind of made a deal with Herod where they said, well, yeah, yeah, we'll come back through. We'll go back and we'll report to you so you can worship also. But being warned in a dream, this epiphanal response, there was this new like method of communication. And all of a sudden, God says, we want you to go that way. Don't go back to Herod. And they don't. I want to bring this up to you because I want to show you something. So, But be ready to go home changed. You will not leave an epiphanal response the same as when you showed up. It will not happen. An encounter with the living God will transform you forever, and you will go away changed. The problem with this is it's frustrating because no one gets the change but you sometimes, right? Because they go, well, that's just the same old Bob. Really? After an encounter with the living God, Bob's dead. This is a new Bob. You know what I'm saying? That's the way this works. You go home completely different than you showed up. An epiphanal response. I want to say that it's so important because he says here, uh, go home by a different route. And we know the story. Do you know the rest of the story? This great story about the Magi. King Herod gets so ticked off that these Magi didn't return to him. He knows the place and he knows the time. And he, he gives this order to say, go and kill every child that's under two years old in Bethlehem and all the areas around it. See, Herod was not here to worship. Herod was here to kill worship because his power was threatened. And so I just want to say that's serious business. What is the cost of Jesus on a cross? Well, the cost of his birth were an uncounted number of children who were innocent. I just want to say that, you know, it just strikes me because everyone who says, man, I'm just here to lay it down, I'm just here to do what God wants me to do, it just isn't so. It just isn't so. We're human, right? And we're flawed. And everything gets in the way of true worship. And so be on guard. Be on guard on your own heart. Am I really here just to, just to respond to God? Just to respond to this king? Be ready to go home changed. We're going to do something this morning uh, that's uh, it's worked out pretty awesome, right? Because God is a big God, and God does awesome things, yeah? And so uh, we've prepared a table today, and um, but I want to go back because I think this is interesting because Matt and I were talking this through. We're going to have communion today. And um, we were talking through what this means to have communion, and, and then I was stunned by the whole idea of Bethlehem being the house of bread. So if, if you're going to receive communion today, what better place to receive it than in Bethlehem with this newborn king?
We talk all the time about what our response, our response time in worship is going to be, how we're going to respond. Well, this morning we're going to invite you to come up this morning to respond to the word. And the word meaning the living word of Jesus. And this is the table that's been prepared not by us, but by him. And these are the elements that he's prepared for us to have. And this child who is not yet here was being brought as a sacrifice. A couple weeks ago, we almost used the, I was going to use the video of, uh, of uh, Talladega Nights, you know, where, where he likes to pray to dear baby Jesus. I love that. I love that. Because that's who came. Dear baby Jesus. He came to set a plate in the house of bread. And when he got to the end of his earthly ministry, he sat around a table with some friends and they were having a meal together and he took this ordinary bread at this ordinary meal and he broke it as a sign, as an epiphanal sign. And he said, take this, all of you, and eat it. This represents my body, which is broken for each of you. Every time you break bread and eat it, he says, do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup and again he gave thanks and praise to God. And he said, this cup is the cup of the new covenant. It's a cup of my blood shed for your sin and he says dip in it with me and in the garden of Gethsemane Christ bowed down and he said not my will but your will be done I invite you this morning to the Lord's table this is not our table prepared by baby Jesus for you to receive.